So what is this? Episode four, podcast, bloody podcast for album three, Master of Reality. I always thought it was Masters, which is crazy. Oh, it's just one. Yeah, it's master. Just yeah. one singular master. The singular. Damn it. <laughs> Here is. Peace, and welcome to the fourth episode of Podcast Bloody Podcast, a mini-pod celebrating the first six albums by the metal gods themselves, Black Sabbath, powered by Kola Culture. This episode, Alaska Adams and I speak on Sabbath's third album, the ever-weighty Master of Reality, with our multi-hyphenate type special guests, American poet, essayist, cultural critic, and French fry enthusiast whose latest book, A Little Devil in America, has often been a first response to the question of recent reads I've favored, Hanif Abdul-Rakib, and New York City-based drummer since the age of two, composer and producer, among other things, who has much time in with many a legend on stage and in studio and tours more than I get a solid eight hours of sleep a year, Savannah Harris. On one end of the table, we have Hanif Abdul-Rakib. On the other end of the table, it's a circular table, though, we have Savannah Harris joining us today to speak about this wondrous third album uh, by the band in focus, Black Sabbath. Uh, we are only covering the canonical, what is considered the canonical Ozzy era. Uh, I don't know. We, could t- we can get to the, the, the question about what happens afterwards later on this episode, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we could just open it up and begin with the question that gets asked often. Um, what is what is our guest's history with Sabbath? My greatest relationship with Sabbath is um, digging through their live stuff and their bootlegs, mm-hmm. which there's a real goldmine of those for a lot of bands of their era. Uh, but for some reason, you know, for them, uh, their their bootlegs are kind of um, a little bit more fascinating than the studio stuff because they were a band that um, it always felt like they were kind of piecing together ideas as they go as they went. And so you get these demos and these these kind of alternate versions of things. You know, like um, you know, you have I have a lot of stuff like the alternative version sixty nine to seventy one, which is like studio outtakes and things like that. And I'm a big sucker for studio outtakes, particularly with a band like Sabbath, which uh, where they kind of always felt like they were feeling around in the dark for a light switch, and then they would find it. But I'm interested in in the feeling around with them, mm-hmm. um, in live too, like a lot of their live stuff, you know, live evil and past lives, these kind of things. Um, that is my you know that's and i love this i love some of the studio records i almost said i love the studio records i don't love broadly all of them Mm. um i also am interested in black sabbath because theirs is a legacy of revision um particularly on the first three records right the first three records which are now today as we know hailed as classics and genre defining albums and massively influential but it you know it can't be ignored that these albums were not critically adored when they were released. Um, Paranoid maybe a little bit, but the the self titled debut and Master of Reality were both paying. I mean the the, the debut really got it rough uh, in the critical space when it was first released, and so you know this happens a lot. Um, these kind of moments of revision within an artist's catalog. But I, you know, Black Sabbath with those first three records, I don't know if it's happened as as um, rigorously as it has happened with them. So I'm always interested in that. I'm interested in what makes a band's, um, what makes a retrospective consideration of an album more generous than a, than the one in the moment. I'm, I'm really into what you just said, Hanif. I, I was thinking about, um, thinking about them retrospectively. I'm kind of coming at them from... Uh, who they impacted so severely and like going back and listening to them, I'm hearing like these 
stacks of, you know, detuned guitar, mm. you know, like this whole and like super fuzz bass, like elements from the psych rock thing that ended up turning into like desert rock in the nineties or like this kind of like stoner, like Joshua tree, Palm desert, kind of like Caius Queens of stone age type bands, you know, that like, sustained through the 90s and early 2000s and I'm looking at them and I'm like this is all Sabbath like this is straight from that blueprint which was laid in those first three records yeah I think for me like um I kind of like my first like entryway into rock stuff was sort of all over the place because the first two rock albums I was handed was like Led Zeppelin one and Nevermind. So it was like two different oh, wow. angles from it. Mm. And then my dad was into like Maiden and like, like, you know, so it was like kind of a weird way to, to get into it. And I, I just gravitated towards like hardcore and stuff. So Sabbath was like, for me, was a sweet spot where things maybe coming from like a psych rock aesthetic harden and go into what is eventually going to become sped up and turned into punk maybe i don't know if that's really the the full like you know structure but that's kind of how i how i interpret it in my mind which i'm you know open to uh that being edited for sure so i just kind of came at sabbath the first i think record i got was paranoid and i got it at rasputin's in the five dollar cd bin and it was killing. It was so, it was like some of the heaviest shit I've ever heard. So that was kind of my entryway into the, into Sabbath. Where did you go from Paranoid? Like afterwards, did you go to like the, the first album or did you go to Master? Or I like actually went you... to the first album and then I realized in, in, in checking this record out, like how many um, tunes from this record I was hearing all the time. Like obviously Sweet Leaf. Or children mm-hmm. of the, I think it's like children of the children of the grave. Grave, yeah. So those tunes are stuff that was already in my ear, but I hadn't actually like really dug into Master Reality until you you brought this record up because I was more mm. like I knew more of the first two records, like fairies wear boots and stuff like that was kind of like what was in my head thinking about Sabbath was that kind of like, you know, dark version of 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 this sort of like like extended jam kind of like nebulous mm. psych vibe. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that you, when you were talking about like the, the sort of um, the lineage that follows, right. Like if we're talking about like that power getting funneled in and sped up into like punk music or then eventually hardcore punk, this album specifically, is this like, is this the start? This so-called, I don't know if I'm going to be like definitive about it, but like, can this be like an ideological start to stoner metal just with sweet leaf alone? We've mentioned that before, like in, in, in speaking about like paranoid and, and maybe even the first record, like there are whole bands with whole catalogs who came about, especially, I mean, especially in the nineties and the two thousands with like the, the whole stoner metal um, yeah. explosion, I mean, so to speak, who are literally a couple Sabbath songs. Like they're just like the, yeah. the, the riffs exploded into you know, a lot of stoner metal I couldn't get into originally because I was just like, yo, this sounds just like, it's like shit from the 70s, like <laughs> Ozzy and them. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, mm. Or like, you think of like a band like Black Flag and like, um, do y'all know like the My War record? Yeah. 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 There's like the B-side. It's like three songs that are just like slow. And it's just like, oh, like that's them channeling Sabbath mm. in 1980 or whatever it is, 81 or whatever, 82 maybe. Sabbathine, Sabbathine heaviness that um, 
especially by like this third album, I think they've kind of crystallized. I, I think I think you use that in a message to me, Savannah. Listening to this album now too, more recently, I've just been like, oh, I used to think, I used to listen to this and Paranoid kind of in tandem. I got them at the same time. My pops was like, oh, you like Sabbath? And got me, I think got me both of them for like my birthday or some shit. And uh, I always kind of had them back to back, kind of like, okay, like these share the same sound, so to speak, quote unquote. But listening to it today after spending time kind of doing the chronological thing, and I guess with more context, it's like the creation of, around the creation of the first album and the second album, how those were built in within like a nine month period or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, And, And they came to the studios with those songs, whereas like with this record, um, they actually wrote everything in the studio. Right. Mm. There was a lot more financing behind this record, right? Oh yeah, they got some money. Got yeah, some- those first two records were pretty successful. You can hear it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that's the thing that like bugs me out. I'm just like, oh, like just now after how hundreds of times I've heard this record, I feel like then years and years later, I'm like, oh wait, I can hear the difference now. Like I'd hear like the fact that like they've like got like new new plating on their armor so to speak you know and this is like the sound that kind of like carries forward i feel like maybe uh, this is my theory right now like sitting with this before i go to volume four and sabbath bloody sabbath and all that like i feel like this might be the more representative sound like the traditional quote-unquote sabbath sound that like at least carries forward into like the rest of like the so-called like Aussie years before we get to like the technical ecstasies and all that um also i feel like this is very much like the pivot album like it's Mm. the one where they start to switch away from the sound of the first two albums, which were like so heavy blues. This is like the real sort of like introduction of metal. Like you hear where they're going and where they're starting to go here. Like um, I know, like I read about um, Geezer was like tuning down his bass to create a much heavier sound. Well, you know um, why? But you know why Geezer tuned down his bass, right? It's because Tony had to tune down his guitar first because yeah, he yeah. like his fingers. He couldn't play. He couldn't play at the tuning it was at because he uh, injured yeah. his fingers, right? Yeah. And so that like let every that like that first tune down made everyone go down further, except Ozzy, of course, who kind of went higher. Who went higher, yeah, yeah. Um, and one one of the interesting things, like I was listening to "Children of the Grave," that and one. like that song is almost like Iron Maiden's whole catalog (laughs) ripped off. Like, especially the bass playing, like you hear the bass playing, it's like Steve Harris's bass playing on like almost every Iron Maiden song is reminiscent of that. Like sort of like the galloping bass that travels throughout the whole song. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will say real quick though, that so I'm not an expert in stoner rock, you know, but I do like, (laughs) I, I think like to give, of course, give Sabbath their flowers, but even like there were, they were definitely on the ground floor of it, but I also think there's a lot of love that's been shown to a band like Blue Cheer and a band like Sir, Law, uh, Sir Lord Baltimore, who kind of came along at the same time as Sabbath, maybe predate, you know, their albums maybe predated by a year, a couple months, but they felt really pioneering, at least in the States, for, for what they were doing for what mm-hmm. would come to be known as Stone and Rock. Oh, definitely, definitely. Sir Lord Baltimore was, where are they from? They were, were they from Brooklyn? They're from were Brooklyn. They Brooklyn? Yeah, they were yeah. a Brooklyn-based band, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a band I, I I actually like missed. I still have yet to like fully tap in, but I was like in my like research, I was like, oh snap, okay. And like our conversation band. was the first time I ever even heard of heard of them. Facts. Yeah, yeah, they're great. I mean, you know, they kind of were there and then not, and then kind of forgotten a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think they came back in like '07, maybe on some like gospel rock type shit. I don't remember. It Whoa. was very strange. <laughs> Um, or maybe it was, maybe I'm not, but I remember they came back and it was like the, the songs were a little bit more like, you know, it was like, oh, this is maybe a Christian rock band now. It was very, I remember it being, um, I remember their reemergence being a little strange, but that first Sir Lord Baltimore album is, is really, I think, important. And I think it's one of those albums where like a lot of people, I feel like there are people who were listening to it uh, and like nibbling from it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, getting, you know, borrowed from it here and there. And uh, it, it doesn't always get the credit it deserves, I think. True. I hear sirens calling me. I fell prey unto the wind. 
I want to ask, I guess, Savannah, as a drummer, where do you see Ward in the sort of like formation of things as far as like, you it's know? It's so funny, dude. I was, I was listening yesterday and I was like, oh my God, the English cats. Like there's so much, there's so much, there's so much language that is so directly, uh, like borrowed from like what happens when you turn rudiments into like a like a rudimental improvisational style so there's like i think it's actually there's like that whole midsection of um of sweet leaf where they like get into their little like psych trance shit and he's like you know yeah and it's like it's it's cool because it's that you know that was that a common practice of that time is like this kind of extended drum solo that's basically just 16th notes around the kit. But what's cool about it is he's playing like six stroke rolls and like, it, it's just like, it's just rudimental drumming, like at its most basic kind of level and, and hearing it used in this context is cool. It reminds me of like, I think like Mitch Mitchell was definitely a lot more fluid with it. He had a lot more you know, swag on his playing because he was really coming from like a jazz tradition for real. But hearing hearing how um, how this cat was kind of interpreting that. Also, the other thing is, I was just so curious, like what black music they were checking out. I'm always wondering that because everything from this very like kind of Larry Graham bass style. Yeah. So like you know, because like I'm 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 hearing it, and in context, 1971, I'm thinking like Sly. Right. I'm thinking like you know, that's where my head is going. And then I was thinking about like you know, shortly after that, like let's take it to the stage. Is out, you know, like all the all this kind of stuff existing in a. These bands are touring the same venues. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm always I'm always curious about like, just on some rhythm section shit who's checking who out. And I feel with Sabbath, like the first song is the blues. It's like, Oh yeah. Little, little cough sample. And then we're in it, you know, it's right. like, we're fully in it. And it's, and it, to me, it just feels like that, that heaviness and that pocket is pretty, it's funky. Like it's pretty mm -hmm. funky, you know? That, that's a word we applied. Um, we've applied the Sabbath in the previous conversations. Like they got that. They do have a funk. It's like thick. it's thick it's really present and i think like you know it's very british like coming from like birmingham or something in the like 50s you know <laughs> as a kid you're like growing up and you know it's scary out there mm -hmm. and that's what you bring to it and so i can really hear it I, hear a little, I feel like i hear some chuck berry too i mean i know a lot of people were kind of picking apart you know, Chuck Berry's influence. Um, but I do hear a kind of um, playful seeking in the guitar playing that, that I think Chuck Berry is, Chuck Berry's early stuff um, signaled to a lot of players to kind of, uh, you know, freedom. I think there's like a real freedom in, in Berry's playing that I think comes up in Tony's playing as well. Mm. We do this thing where we rank of the four, who, who do you, I guess, really favor there's no obviously definitive like hierarchy or whatever but like any are you leaning toward iomi or are you more in the the geezer side of things where, where you at with like the leading core element of the band here especially in this in this specific work i think i mean i'm a rhythm section person um 
And so, you know, Geezer and Bill Ward, particularly because I think keeping Ozzy, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to, I don't want to say like under control, but there was a sense, particularly on this album, I think that Ozzy was kind of just like vocally going to do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone else was down tuning and he was still at the level he was at. He wasn't going to to bend towards them sonically much at all. And I think the rhythm section is some way works in negotiation with the vocalist, even if the vocalist doesn't know that negotiation is happening. Right. Right. It's not just about keeping time, but it's also kind of about, I mean, of course, keeping time is the is a primary function, but it's also kind of about um, being a consistent container of sound, no matter what. The vocals are doing i mean this is why for example this is why the funk brothers right motown worked so well across so many different artists because mm-hmm. they were so consistent mm-hmm. um it kind of didn't matter who was in front of the microphone mm-hmm. and these three sabbath albums uh, the first three i think you get at least two different versions of ozzy or maybe two and a half you know they're all kind of in the same they're all like in touchable regions but Ozzy was kind of as a vocalist uh, and in a position to overpower a lesser rhythm section. And, um, you know, I always think about vocalists who don't, who work, um, who work well, who work in tandem with production or with sound. You know, one thing I know we're leaping to DMX, so a bit of brief detour to DMX, but <laughs> what made good. DMX good, I think what made DMX a good MC, you know, he wasn't the best lyricist, he wasn't the best, I mean, hell, he wasn't even the best storyteller, he wasn't the best narrator, mm-hmm. uh, but he never let the production overwhelm him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Swiss, you know, considering that the main producer he was working with, the Swiss Beats, who's a producer who's, you know, his productions overwhelm a lot of people because of the clash of sounds, you know? Yeah, bombastic. I think about, yeah, you know, I think about this, I think about like how the, the Black Sabbath, particularly early on, is uh, maybe the the ideal of um, a rhythm section negotiating with the vocalist, even when the vocalist doesn't know that negotiation is taking place. Mm. So I was going to say, on the, on the first two albums, there was, um, Ward talks about it a lot, how he crafted his playing around Ozzy's lyrics and Ozzy's singing, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like the riff, the, you know, everything yeah. conformed to Ozzy's vocals. So that's kind of interesting to hear. And then I, I think it, they got away from it on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything, you know, like you were saying, like Ozzy was doing his own thing and the rest of the band was doing their own thing. Um, and I, I definitely can feel that displacement there that it's one of the things that this album has always like been an odd one for me like i never fully have fallen in love with this record because it just it didn't feel formed like the other record you know the the first two records were fully formed i think when you get to like sabotage and um sabbath bloody sabbath they're fully formed in another direction now like they're like truly a metal band at that point Mm. uh and this is like for me, there's like there's moments that miss on this record because of, of that. Like um, hmm. I think after after forever, mm. which is you know I I love the the musicianship on it, but Ozzy's like way off on that whole song to me, um, <laughs> and it's like something that that really troubles me on a lot of the songs on the record. Wow. Um, yeah. Huh. I was gonna say the uh, the pocket that that Ozzy gets into on certain. I'm thinking of into the void specifically. Like that's him being led by the all-powerful, you know, Ward Butler yeah. combination. Uh, as far as the rhythm section is concerned, I mean, he was doing that before, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is, huh? I'm thinking about that now. I mean, the songs that hit are undeniable, but right. there's there's just moments that I'm like, oh. Mm. It doesn't work for me personally. Uh. I wonder if, like, at this point, he was really. Do you think it's possible he was starting to to feel himself as formed from separate, like formed separately from Black Sabbath, or feeling himself as an entity that was larger than Black Sabbath? Do you think that, like, it's possible that he could have already been feeling that that push by this point? Hmm. By album three, because by by now they're they're superstars and they've only been there for like. Two years. They, they've years. said that there's, there was a lot of drug abuse during this time. 
Oh, like yeah. it was the first time they had money, and and Ozzy was very disconnected from this record. Mm-hmm. He, said he, he said he doesn't remember it. I mean, like if yeah. you he's in interviews, so he said he doesn't remember the recording of it at all. In <laughs> um, some of that is like Ozzy mythology, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it is true that there's there is like a the thing with Ozzy, the thing with some of these bands, like. I, and I can't, obviously I wasn't there in 1968 at the band's formation. Um, but some bands, you know, they, they serve a purpose for a a front person and that Mm -hmm. that's kind of established early, you know, like it it feels to me like Ozzy might've always been arcing towards like, how can this be the thing that gets me towards a solo career? Hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think that's just, that's kind of the cost of doing things with a with a with a front person who's as dynamic as Ozzy was. Um, I mean, though, I will say I don't know how folks feel about Ozzy's solo career, but I struggle with a lot of those those records. One, I think there's oh, like yeah. too fucking many of them. Um, a lot of them are just like not really thought out or well crafted. Particularly, like I think Blizzard of Oz is good, but then when you get to like the ultimate sin and no rest for the wicked. It's oh, like, yeah. ah, come the on. Jake, man, the Jakey Lee error is really rough. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because there was something about being in Sabbath. If we're going to talk about, you know, rhythm sections, there's something I think about being in Sabbath for him that, that unspoken negotiation kind of kept his worst musical impulses in check. <laughs> and, you know, not to say, you know, not dissing like Randy Rhodes and, you know, the folks who played with them solo, but um, it was a different thing in Sabbath, I think. Also, also it was a different era. Like yeah. the whole approach and intention was like, ooh, we're talking about like what, late, late, late seventies going to like early eighties, especially, and things started to go. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a different, different, different thing. Yeah. Different, different motion, yeah. different industry. Exactly, exactly. And things got really noodly very quickly. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, there was there's probably definitely some exhaustion about being around each other, like that many addicts in a room together mm. with uh, as you know, they get more and more headstrong with one another. There has to be a breaking point. Um, like I know Ozzy didn't want to even be involved in like the last two albums, but the, they threw money at him to bring him in. Um, mm. And then. Um, you know, like the the industry at that time was shifting. Like, I don't think you saw that as much with like bands in the '60s, where it's like, let's pluck out the front man. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, let's ride this gravy train. Probably weren't even thinking that way until later on. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know who the first person to do it was, but once somebody did it and made a shit ton of money, I'm sure that changed a lot of people's views mm. on whether I need this band around me or not, or I could just get hired guns. How many times did James Brown have a, like a have a have a unit change? Oh, I mean, yeah, depending <laughs> on the era, a week. That's what I'm. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> I heard a great story this week of of James Brown saying to somebody, "Oh, as long as we're on this plane, you have this gig." Yeah. Right. <laughs> as soon as we touch down, yeah, you're out of a gig. But I think James Brown might be a little like, like somebody like James Brown's a little different than like if you like pick like the Grateful Dead. Or, you know, somebody that's a band under one name. Like, that was always James Brown and these other dudes that played music right, with him. Right, Yeah, except for a few few key players who yeah. kind of remained. I also wonder if, like, you know, this album is 1971. So is this almost pre an era of bands having that much longevity anyway? Like, you know, like if Sabbath yeah. is around for... 10 years pre-Dio, then there's that whole other thing. You know, right. it's like yeah. it cements itself as this, you know, or made or any of these bands have been around 20 plus, 30 plus years. Van Halen or any, you know, those like mega, mega bands. It's like, is this sort of pre that? Is this is this one of the first, you know, or like the Who or something? The Who at this point is mm. only together how many years? So is this kind of like a, a yeah, like even the really Beatles were on the verge of breaking up at this point, right? I was, they, uh, yeah, I was thinking about the Beatles. I was also thinking about the Beach Boys, mm. kind of in that yeah. sort of regard. So, I mean, the Beach Boys. Well, okay, well, maybe I I should 
restrain myself because I could talk about the Beach Boys for a long time. <laughs> the Beach Boys, though, I think by the time you get to, you know, if you think about like 71, which to me, 71 is when you get the second greatest Beach Boys album, which is Surf's Up. Um, they were kind of at the whims of Brian Wilson, which by that point, you know, like in some ways they were kind of hanging on by a thread, you know? Yeah. Um, because in some ways he was hanging on by a thread. And so you get, you know, you get that album, but you know, by that point it, they were kind of uh, an unstable entity, but, but, but they kind of kept going. So that's another thing that I think was happening with bands sometimes is that they would keep going despite instability because they had something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some bands that were absolutely just powering through um, because that is, I suppose, what they believed was required. And that's, you know, a Sabbath, obviously, I think, tried that with those albums that, like, Ozzy did not want to be present for. Um, but it, well, the thing about it is, the Sabbath, it showed, like, those albums, it sounds like Ozzy doesn't want to be there. Right. Um, at least on Master of Reality, he doesn't really sound one foot out the door, I think. Mm. Um, though I do agree that when the misses on this album are are significant you know of the first three records this is probably i I like it it is probably my least favorite yeah well i'm curious now like what (laughs) what is what's one of the missing what's one of the the points of miss uh for you or for anyone else who's got because i don't really i kind of favor this one not like not necessarily over the other two but i really fuck with it I don't know if there's a nostalgia associated. I like it too. I fuck Not with it. Lie. Yeah. I kind of fuck with this record. Like, <laughs> there's something there's so, I, I you know, and I know for I know for like, you know, maybe the maybe the super hardcore Sabbath heads um might might take issue with this, but there's something about this record that feels like Black Sabbath and Paranoid to me, they they feel like fresh. And, and very like, this is the concept and this is what we're going for and hungry. But there's something about this record that feels a little bit actually settled to me, like a little bit cozier and, and more solid in some way. And I don't know if that's because of how it was recorded mm. um, or some of the risks that they're taking with that. Cause there's some risks on this record. Sure. Like trying some shit, which by the time you get to, the next one, which is like, is it called Volume Four? Volume Four, yeah. Volume four. yeah. That yeah. one is like, to me, feels like a continuation of some of the risks that I hear on this one. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm like wondering if, like, if if they're taking some of those risks from a space of one, just being smacked in the studio, but two, also being feeling <laughs> a little bit more solid and comfortable in 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 the sound that they're producing. Yeah. Please, I mean, that's just that's the first thing I'm hearing, like in the car doing a deep listen was like these motherfuckers are comfortable, you know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that they might not have been on the first two. I don't know. Sure. Sure. There's a beauty that comes with that, that sort of comfort though. You know, like there's like, I mean, I, I'm, I love the potentials that, you know, as long as it's not like a redundancy necessarily, or it doesn't like necessarily have to fall into like a redundancy, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it can be like this thing where it's like, all right, like we're, we're good at what we do. We understand it. We don't have to like, read you the whole transcript necessarily we could just do a couple, do these few things and also just yeah if you're comfortable then you might be more willing to do a risky maneuver that may or may not piss some people off or whatever i mean like you have like these two interludes i mean i love the sequencing right. of, i love the sequencing of this album because you have those interludes that are like one is what 28 seconds uh yeah. uh embryo embryo, embryo. Yeah. yeah embryo and i feel like there's a loop that's going to pop up any second or like, I feel like maybe a lute is being played. I don't even know if a lute is, is a strummed instrument. I know a lute is definitely a strummed instrument, yeah, but yeah, like, But then, and then you have um, with well, the other ones, Orchid, right? Orchid, Orchid, Orchid is yeah. like a minute and a half, which a minute and a half, yeah. and it has that kind of twist at the end. It like mm-hmm. twists out of its uh, one soundscape and offers a new one. 
Indeed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and each of those, I think each of those moments also kind of give a nod to the weight distribution, like the understanding of like, oh, we do this heavy shit already. We could, we could, we could, we could fuck with the gravity a little bit and give you this little, you know, strummed acapella, so to speak. Uh, you know, let, let, let the, let the strings go solo for like 30 seconds and then bring in a power metal sort of riff come, you know, that comes in on, was it children, uh, children of the grave is after em, uh, embryo, I believe. Yeah. It's after embryo. Yeah. Yeah. And then after orchid, you get, uh, into the void, I think into the, into the void. Is yeah. It? No, it's lost. It's Lord, Lord of the, the world. world. Lord of the world. Right, right, right. Which is right, like, right, right, right. Which is yeah. kind of like Sweet Leaf Part Two. Like it's like, oh, we're we're it's a return to like the Sabbath heavy, slow and heavy riff thing. crazy on this record the little say again they're a little like like you know fake Bach cello suite <laughs> on this record is crazy it just like I was just like oh like please please show us your 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 harmonic prowess you know it's, <laughs> it's beautiful it's like it's just a it's a super random mm-hmm. beautiful moment and and I was kind of like I had the same thought sequencing wise I was like this was a wild choice but I'm here for it like yeah you know, <laughs> I'm like imagining like a very metalhead type vibe, like type room, and then they whip that out, and people are just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. Like, just pissed off. Who's who's doing the vocals on? Is that um Geezer? On, on Solitude. Uh, in Solitude, it listed yeah. as Ozzy. I'm kind of shocked by that too, but everywhere yeah. I looked, it said it's Ozzy. I was like, every time I hear it, I'm like, that can't be him, and I try no. to do another search, and I just find that the only vocals listed are Ozzy. Right. Right. Yeah. That was my, I've always thought before I'd looked into the line of notes to try to do that research. I was always like, oh, this, this has got to be like Butler. This yeah. Is not. You know what I'm saying? That's like one yeah. of the prime, primary like songwriters and whatnot, or, or like lyricists. As much as I like that song, it does feel like a cheap knockoff of Planet Caravan to me. Mm. <laughs> and and I, I, I like, I, like oh, for all my problems with this record, I really like this record. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are just other like Sabbath records that blow it out of the water to me, which says something to the level of their catalog, because this blows most other artists' albums out of the water. I mean, yo... I hear you on the Planet Caravan thing because I used to associate the two and almost confuse them. I'd be like, oh, like which one's on Paranoid, <laughs> which one's on Master? But the lat, like the change ups too. Yeah. We, just, we spoke about the Sweet Leaf, the little Sweet Leaf mm-hmm. section. But mm-hmm. like the last 58 seconds of, of oh shit, what is it? It's uh, Children of the Grave. Mm-hmm. Where it goes like into the heavy breakdown and then and then just like the guitars, the feedback turns into ghosts. And then you hear like you hear the whispering just kind of yeah. like creep through. That shit is that like fucked me up. I forgot about the whole whispering at the end and, and just like how long it lingers. Like the tail, the tail just like just keeps coming. You're like, wow. this whole like hardcore bands that that like have minute long songs that try to do that you know what i'm saying or that we're doing that after the fact you know what i'm saying like oh we're gonna start here and then go here in one minute on a seven inch i mean yeah it speaks to the, the brilliance the brilliance I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out if it's roto toms or timbales at the beginning of that track yo because i'm like were roto toms a thing yet i doubt it like <laughs> I'm sorry, for me, that was like something that really stuck out. I was like, are they playing tamales in the studio? <laughs> right. It's like crazy, 
super high pitched sound, which yeah. I don't know if that was present in records like that by 71. I'm not really hearing that sound outside of the Timbale sound. But I don't know if you guys know what that was. I'm just curious about it. That was something that stuck out to me. I mean, that song of... goes a lot of places, Children of the Grave. Yeah. I, I saw some footage of them of them doing it live and the energy that they bring to that song, which is so different than this. Like going back to what you were saying before, Hanif, about their like live and, and bootleg stuff versus their studio stuff. It's like night and day, like totally different. Yeah. Energy yeah. yeah, I feel like the the live and the bootlegs of Sabbath, it's it's so much more revelatory than a lot of other bands who have kind of bootlegs and in studio outtakes and things like that. It's revelatory in part because um, the the nature of the collaborative work jumps out a bit more to me with Sabbath, even in the unspoken things, like in the unspoken moments. You know, it's like one of those things where. Um, I keep using the word negotiation because it does they're there the kind of grind of their in-studio outtakes suggests that even unspoken everyone knew um their role except maybe ozzy who who was inventing a role as he went along but even that's kind of fascinating to be an audience too true do you have a favorite live recording or like a bootleg my favorite live recording um I always think that the best you can do with with anything Sabbath Live is um, probably in the earlier points. So like, you know, Live Evil is kind of like after Ozzy, I think, if I'm not mistaken. It's like yeah. Dio's there. But I actually really love that one. And I know that that, that means that like um, you don't get... Ozzy, but it, it does still kind of like inform uh, the band. So, but bootlegs, yeah, I mean, I got a lot. Um, always go with the alternative version 6971, which is like both studio outtakes and like um, reissue type things. And that is, I think, good because you get um, so much kind of uh, in studio messing around. Um, I think another one is Black Knight in San Francisco, which is um, a live bootleg, which is really good. Symptom of the Paranoid is another one. And I just had, I don't remember, I just got a new one that I have the record for, like right now it's out on my player, but I'm not near my player. And I forget the name of it, but I put it on this past week and I was really stunned. I mean, it's messy and it's kind of, uh, cluttered as their demos often are but it's still again revelatory uh yeah if we can get the uh the dropbox <laughs> the, <laughs> the honey bootlegs dropbox i don't know if i ever tapped into like the bootlegs or like the live recordings i mean i like the video like i've seen like the videos like the iron man video like all the crazy green screen speaking about like the the risk taking and like the interesting choices the details it's like all the shit that kind of blends in like even from like the car like the coughing at the very beginning and it's like a looped coughing it's obviously it's it's like it's a loop fading in i'm just like all right like i'm just thinking about like from like a technological standpoint obviously like this is a this is now like a, a so-called like metal record that it's incorporating like electronics like you have like that synth or that like something that sounds like a synth that starts and ends was after after forever yeah 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 I mean, yo, even even the there's like gongs at the very end of Sweet Leaf, like at the yeah. very last, like it's fading out, and you hear just like it's not the so-called like not the tradition. I don't know, it doesn't sound like a China symbol, like it sounds like a big crash, like some Boris metal percussion, and just like things like that, where I'm just like, like y'all were reaching for things at that point, and that's again speaking back to like the level of like being settled or a bit more comfortable, uh, a bit more situated in like this thing that you've 
you've been cooking for like, you've been in the kitchen with each other for like however many you know, years, I guess at this point, you know? And it's just like, all right, like let's add some, let's add a gong, let's add a synth or like, let's, let's do something that processes this guitar to make it sound like this. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's the first album they had piano on. Ooh. Yeah, I think I think you're right. They did have the loop when I was looking at the <laughs> when I was trying to figure out who was singing. They had like all the, everything that everyone played. Okay, I'm I'm trying to actually find that. I was literally trying to find that that information. Who's uh, playing flute? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah, oh, on, on this. I'm doing some. I'm doing some as we as we talk about it. But yeah, there's some on solo too. They were trying. Some yeah. Stuff. They were trying some stuff on this. He played Tony played flute and piano on solo too. Damn, Tony. Yeah. All right. Well, that 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 even makes me view Tony in a different light now. It's just especially like we're talking about like you know, I mean, whatever. The the basketball analogy does not work starting five, but like <laughs> <laughs> you can't do Sabbath without Tony. Obviously, I feel I like another band like that, like Zeppelin mm-hmm. or like yeah, first round ACDC or any of those bands where it's like you kind of need. Like each element is super important. You couldn't take someone out and throw someone else. Truly. Throw another cat in the net. I mean, in essence, that's what we're getting on in in terms of studio albums in those last two when like Ozzy's Ozzy's phoning it in. He's like not present. So it's like, oh, okay. Like this is kind of what happens. Like the thing, the structure starts to crumble, so to speak. And like we're hearing that. There definitely are some iterations of Sabbath later on where they have different bass players and drummers that are just like, eh. and like the singer from Rainbow. Yeah, after they got Dio, who was the singer from Rainbow, I think they got like Richie Blackmore, who was also like a singer in Rainbow, which is, yeah. I just remember seeing that video when I was a kid and being so like taken back by what I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Do y'all um, have any like favorite? moments it could be a song it could be a change up as as they're known to do you know like those little little lovely switch ups i just think the side b is is pretty perfect mm. yeah um for me that's you know this is one of those albums that gains momentum but side b is uh the side b of this is really where it's a pretty flawless run of music i think yeah starting with orchid Yeah, starting with Orchid ending ending into the void. Yeah. Truly. Like they really take the right, like sequencing right is, it is like really a perfect, like hit you with it and then hit you with it again. That's it. That's all we're doing here. That's all right. <laughs> it's crazy how short this album is too. I, like, I feel like under 35 minutes or something, or it's like, it's definitely under 40 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, damn, for some reason, I always felt like this was like an hour and not, and I'm not saying that in the way like, oh, it feels long. Uh, like, I'm just like, oh, snap. I can kind of start it over again. Like, you know, when I was doing my driving this morning, I was like, oh, I've listened to this like three times. Two car rides, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I like kinda... say it and get out, you know? It's a lot of information packed into a, right. into a short amount of time. And if this was like a live set, you'd be fulfilled by that amount of time. Because it's, Ab- it's very concentrated. Every moment is very concentrated on this record. In a way that... I feel is not so much the case on Paranoid. Mm. 
the paranoid has those long i mean war pigs is long you know what i mean <laughs> iron iron man is fucking long oh. like it's like two songs in one basically and yeah. like everyone only knows the first half right um or cites the first half and i think that's why i kind of dig this record is because this record feels edited mm. like to me it feels like okay like almost like we made some risks we took some risks we made some some maybe strange decisions that are kind of putting us in between where we started and where we're going to end up. But at the same time, I feel like they feel deliberate to me in a way that like some of the stuff on the first two records was a little meandering maybe, or maybe they just kind of vamp for too long or like a little too long on the, on an idea. I don't know though. That's just like a, maybe like a personal listening thing. If I take a deeper listen, maybe I, I would find more there, but I did kind of like the succinctness or like the, the clarity of this record. You know? Giving a shout out to Roger Bain, who's who was their their producer, who remained who remained at least their producer uh, for the first three albums. So I feel like there's a relationship, so like a a bond and a rapport that's like a that's that's honored there as far as like all right, we're growing this thing together. You know what I'm saying? Like speaking to like the editing thing for instance like there's someone else in the in the, in the room who's been in the room who's right. seen you know who's seen who has like those roughs and those altered takes and all that and it's just been like okay well producer does work producer a producer is a vital part of the the yeah. the process right so i think having that as an element and like acknowledging that too is like important because like that's someone who certainly probably had a say or certainly had a sit, had a say in like sequencing and like maybe some structures and et cetera, et cetera. Tim, you got any questions for the for the folks or do you no, have I, questions? I mean, I think I think you really dropped this might be the most informational one that we've had thus far. <laughs> <laughs> in, really in, the short, in the shortest yeah. amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I've enjoyed listening. Facts. Facts. Yeah. Do y'all have any thoughts in regards to the Sabbath, like their iconic status and like what their legacy means to the greater form metal or even just like rock in general. I have some thoughts, but I wanted to let, feel like Hanif got it in the bag on this one. I, I think that there are some bands where, you know, like they say the Velvet Underground made a record and everyone who heard it started a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some bands who I think influenced bands two decades down the road who were kind of pre-existing, but looking to be brave in a different way. So I think, mm. you know, you hear Sabbath and Nirvana, sure, and in Pearl Jam and things like this, but, you know, I think you also hear Sabbath in the echoes of Sabbath run through. I would say this morning, I was listening to the new Coheed and Cambria record mm. uh, that came out today and you hear Sabbath, the, the lineage I think is that they've built is really strong and, and unwavering. Uh, their lineage of influence, their tree of influence is, is maybe broader than a lot of other bands. Mm. Definitely. I feel like down to just form, like song structure and and like taking, well, I mean, I think in the 60s, there, there obviously is a lot of like elongated song structures that did break into mainstream, you know, thing because of the era that it was and culturally what people were doing. But I feel like one way that Sabbath really influenced things going forward is by shifting the idea of, of literal form and like how long you can make certain sections and how, and how, you know, your part A, your part B, just shifting that kind of like verse, verse, chorus kind of dynamic entirely. And then the other thing that I really, really hear is just how they recorded and like that being a major pivot point for rock records after that point just like this whole like super like like crunchy but very tightly like compressed like wall of guitar layers and then like you know like having like the snare sound is super important i feel just the way the drums sound on these records is super especially this one there's a weight um, to it there's a weight to that even the snare you know like there's, there's like a, a weight man for real and mm. um in terms of just like bass shit, like what, like I really, 
I heard this record and I immediately was thinking about like, let's take it to the stage, Funkadelic. Like I was immediately, which comes out like right after, I think maybe a couple years after or something. But in that span, like those 69 to like 73, like what's changing in terms of how drums and bass and guitars sound recorded for me, like is massive. And then after that point, taking the gloss of the 80s kind of out of the equation, like going back to this whole like stoner rock, desert rock thing that that I grew up with because I grew up in the, you know, late 90s and early 2000s. So for me, like that, those are the things that I'm hearing really ringing out as part of their legacy is just like how things are recorded, song structure, form, um, what's possible in terms of like, making something that is deeply like heavy rock, but is also super rooted in like funk and blues in a really like evident and kind of like literal way, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's done in an honoring, you know what I mean? Like it's done in like a very like, we have an altar of like these folks who have been, you know, like helped inform us to like build this, this, this beast. Yeah. You know what I mean? so I mean, like, yeah, like if you hear you hear a Sabbath record, you hear the way the way that the bass is present and like the way that folks are rolling up and down, like Butler's like rolling up and down the the scales or you know like the melodic sequences and things of that nature all allude back to. I mean, the first thing people are like, oh yeah, that, that's like a heavy blues band. Like without the blues, there's no Sabbath. And I mean, obviously, yes, in, in a historical standpoint as well. But like, if they didn't have that in their so-called like formula it'd be a completely different creature, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, the funk. <laughs> like, I, I'm thinking of, you know, those, like, bass sound, that fuzz that's on it and that clicking mm. up in the higher register, like, right. you know, it just reminds me of, like, early Sly records, like, late 60s Sly records. I'm and sure that. Dog and, like, that was whole, like, all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking about that one. Oh, uh, Trip to your heart. It's like super psych funk rock, but it's it's it has this dark kind of occult like swirl, the organs are swirling, everything is like, you know. So really, to me, it's so connected. And my stepdad was like hanging out in San Francisco at the time because he was playing with a Buddy Miles. He's in the Buddy Miles band. Mm. And as he says it, it's just like everyone was in the trench together, honestly. And so just musically, it's like I, I really always think of these things as being really connected and people just their ears gravitating and picking up shit, you know. Right. Right. Adding it to their arsenals. So. Mm. Well, uh that was one hell of a conversation and yeah no just thank you you know what i'm saying like it's been, it's been fun to like revisit this album uh with this sort of like intent just even like all this work in general like i've not listened to sabbath with this sort of like level of like closeness since maybe like late 2000s perhaps so it's been a minute 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 for me um so coming back with like really fresh ears and whatnot uh seeing how the music has changed seeing like what sticks out you know how things hit now 10 plus years later um so yeah just want to extend my appreciation toward y'all as far as like taking this journey yeah geez thank you um, no doubt thank you for having me this is a real pleasure nah for real or hell yeah beautiful beautiful conversations everyone tap in with these folks this has been another episode of podcast bloody podcast we'll see y'all in a week Much love, much love. Everyone have a safe, safe, safe rest of your day and weekend. All right? Peace, y'all. Peace.
1971's Master of Reality, July 21st, yeah. unless unless someone like Dart Dart Adams comes out and comes from my yeah, neck. you know Dart Dart has uh, a <laughs> shout out to Dart who 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 very genuinely like I check my I cross check everything I, I do through Dart. Indeed, indeed, yeah, Dart is uh, a wonderful reference. Uh, Even my own releases, I have to make sure that my memory yeah. is correct. <laughs> Dark got the archive, uh, yeah. the cataloging system on, on his uh